Welcome back to Office Politics. I am your host, Jasmine Reed-Clark, and this is the place where we get down and dirty about all of the things happening behind closed corporate doors, except this episode, because we're talking about something that is happening out in the open, which is this uh, very coincidentally timed uh, newfound obsession with diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. It's just so interesting. It's like, um, it's like all these companies woke up around June. What are the odds? But I do believe ultimately, better late than never. And thank you for finally finding the resources to put towards DNI initiatives. With that said, a lot of companies are hosting, you know, DNI trainings, hiring chief diversity officers, having vocabulary lessons and defining the word microaggression for a lot of people. And while I think those tactics and steps are absolutely needed, essential, and well-intentioned, I think people are forgetting that that is not uh, the overall or overarching point um, that we've been trying to make for centuries now. I don't think that diversity in the workplace can be solved in a 60-minute Zoom call. And somebody who shares that exact notion with me is TEDx speaker and best-selling author, Minda Hartz. She is author of The Memo, What Women of Color Need to Know to Secure a Seat at the Table. And she is basically being asked to talk and speak everywhere on the topic of DNI in the workplace. So... I joined the list and I asked her to come on here and we get into a lot. But rather than talk about uh, how do we solve diversity in the workplace, she and I talk about intersectional feminism and how it goes beyond wage gaps and reproductive rights, the importance of psychological safety at work, self-preservation and self-care during 2020, and why Black employees must pack lighter at work due to generational wounds. Yep, we got some pretty heavy hitters, but I also promise there's a ton of laughs. We take a lot of deep breaths together, um, and we learn what she has coming up in 2021. I'm really excited. This is a really special episode. Enjoy! You're listening to Office Politics, brought to you by the Revolt Career Network, formerly known as BYOB Revolt. Thank you so much for being on here today. I'm happy to be here, of course. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. it's. I think the last time we saw each other was almost a year ago at the Riveter. I was... Um, at one of their events where you were a keynote speaker and my have things changed completely since then. 
That was the last time I was in Texas. Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> and since then, because you were um, you were doing like a press tour for the memo, um, which we will get into in a moment. But did you? I mean, I assume the answer is no. But could you have even fathomed that a year later you would be asked to speak anywhere and everywhere, and really, I mean, revolutionizing people's lives? drastically uh, like it just seems like you had this meteoric rise overnight yeah it, it definitely it, it looks that way for people yeah. who probably come like to my social media page like oh look at this girl she's everywhere right uh but um I started planting those early seeds in 2015 that started to to manifest over time and and even though um yeah it, it feels like so much has happened in a short amount of time uh, but it, I remember those days where it felt like this is never, nothing's ever going to happen. Right. Like, like, no, yes, <laughs> like, yeah. I'm, I'm in that season of my life yeah. now. I get it. And, um, you know, so just to kind of let listeners dive into this, can you give a synopsis of the memo? I mean, truly, I think it is a must read really for everyone, but especially women of color, especially women of color who feel like, uh, they are not getting the advice that they need, but I would love to hear it in your words. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, I definitely wrote it with the intention of a love letter to women of color, for sure. But as I started writing it, I'm like, you know what, this book is just as much a love letter to people who aren't of color, right? <laughs> or, or, um, or, you know, men of color to how you can yes. support and be there for us. So I, I do now looking back at it, I, I definitely feel it's for every, everybody should read it. Um, but what I will say is I wrote the memo out as a pain point that I was experiencing, right? Being the only, only woman, only black woman in many, in all my working spaces in a professional, um, that held a professional title. And I always just felt othered all the time. Right. Mm. And I started to settle into that feeling like, oh, this just must be what work is going to be like for the rest of my life. Right. And, and then I realized around the Trayvon Martin period that um, I realized that Black lives have to matter inside too, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. our, our lives, mm -hmm. our career lives have to matter inside the places we're working. And that's when I started to kind of think about what could I do to shed light on the experiences of women that we don't topic, typically talk about, right? So we talk about women all the time, right? You, you hear yes. women all the time, but it's typically white women people are referring to and everybody else is secondary or not even an afterthought. And so for me, the memo was really to say, hey, actually, we have experiences too. And let me tell you about them. And to that point, exactly. We have experiences and they they look different than white women. And you bring up, I think that's a perfect segue into something um, I've been reading much more about recently, which is intersectional feminism in the last few years. And I just recently finished Hood Feminism, which is fantastic. Um, and I learned that feminism isn't just limited to like reproductive rights and wage gaps, which I, I am so guilty of that mm -hmm. being at the front fort of my mind. Right. But it's also um, about gun violence, classism, education. Uh, what would What do you wish those who are scholars, spectators, commentators, speaking on behalf of or learning from intersectional feminism, what do you wish people would add to the conversation or get right? 
Yeah, uh, I, I'm glad that you asked that question because in uh, hood Femis- feminism is on my to read list, so I'm really excited that you. Yeah, <laughs> you said so it. good. <laughs> um, but I, I wish that people. I don't think we talk about the humanity part of it, right? And and what I mean by that is recently I was doing some roundtable discussions with some young girls of color for one of my next books that I'm writing. And I was asking them a series of questions, you know, what, what, what do you feel about being, you know, a black girl or a woman of color in today? And, and one of the questions I asked them is if you were able to write a memo to, you know, white men and women, the parents in which you are, you know, you go to the school with their kids, what would you tell them? And this reoccurring theme for them uh, was being seen, Right. Being able to say that, why can't you look at me how you look at your daughter, your mother, your sister? Like, why is why am I different than that? And I think part of this intersectional thing is that they would say, oh, I'm colorblind. I don't see color. Right. But the thing is, in order to be able to to see women, you have to see every woman. Right. You can't be like. Um, well, we have issues too. Yes, yes, and right. Yes, as mm. white women, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you do have you do have things you're dealing with, but you're never going to deal with some of the issues that people who look like us deal with, right? You're just never going to do that. And until you understand that there are differences, that's part of intersectional, right? We we meet at different points in our lives. Until you can see what point I'm at and what point you're at, we're never mm. going to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so I think that we don't humanize the conversation, right? We just lump yes. everybody in. I have my hands up because <laughs> that is, if I had a memo to write to everyone, it's that the Black experience isn't a monolith. Like it can, it's so unique to everyone. And something I feel I may not articulate it the best, but I always felt now, but especially growing up, when you meet a white person, you don't make as many assumptions. I mean, we all kind of have stereotypes in the back of our head. Mm-hmm. But I remember, I was just thinking about this the other day, too. I remember I was like in fifth or fourth grade, and this girl was like, um, oh, like, where do you live? And she was shocked to learn that I live in a house with two parents. And she was like, oh, I thought you would have lived in like one of the apartments on XYZ Street. And you you know who your dad is? And it was that that like... She she truly meant it innocently, but mm-hmm. that was the that was the narrative that she thought all black people had, and um, so that's always stuck with me. So I think realizing humanizing each other is, is a huge one. I love that. Yeah. And something I want to ask you is, you know, since writing the memo, it's is there an internal dialogue you have with yourself? Um, let me backtrack just a little bit. When Black Lives Matter had, um, I don't want to call it a resurgence, but I think just when more white people were joining the movement earlier in June, we had a lot of people wanting to learn and listen. And on one hand, I was like, that's, hey, better late than never. Glad you're here. I'd rather you learn now than never. But there was also a part of me that, you know, harbored some resentment, feeling like, I've been talking about this. I've been inviting you to the conversation. I've been trying to get your attention. Did you did you go through any of that internal dialogue with yourself? And if you did, did you ever land anywhere? Yeah, I mean, I'm still having that internal dialogue, right? Especially after writing a book like the memo, you know, one of the things that the dominant majority may not be aware of, but 
you know, often they'll say, oh, don't play, play the race card, right? Like we can never mention race in the workplace because, you know, for whatever reasons. And, and uh, with that said, so we couldn't do it. But then when June happened, right, when, when George Floyd, Breonna Taylor's murders took place, then all of a sudden, now that white people were ready to talk about race, then black people and people of color should be ready to talk about race. And it's like, <laughs> really? Like, we've been waiting. And now you're like, well, why aren't they telling me what's going on? You know, and it's like, that that's probably the, the reckoning that I'm trying to have with myself, because it's like, yo, first of all, you should just apologize. Everybody should be giving apologies first. Like, yes. sorry, sorry, we have not been a part of this conversation. We have not wanted to have it. And now that uh, you, I'm ready, I apologize. I should have had this long conversation a long time ago. That's what I feel like we still haven't heard. Uh, a, a, I'm apology. They should be on apology tour. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> like when celebrities get canceled and yeah. then they have to like go to all the talk show hosts. Exactly. Meet with and- the people of color delegation. You have to meet with like all, you know what I mean? Like apologies first, right? Let's start there. <laughs> and it's just so interesting too, because I think people forget that that work and that work that we've been doing is emotionally taxing. I mean, this is life or death for us. Like this, you know, for some people, I know there's been a sincere shift and I I don't want to generalize, but for some people, this is like, you know, kind of like a nice self like introspection exercise. Like that's not what it is for us. Um, and knowing that it is something that requires so much of us, I think of you a lot because I'm like, wow, she has to have these conversations nonstop. And I know for me, how sometimes even I need to take take a step back, but you are putting in the work 20-fold. So how do you take care of yourself and really make sure that you're debriefing and finding space to breathe? Well, I appreciate you asking that because it's it's difficult, right? It's definitely like I hear people say, oh, it's, it's tough. Or I hear others say it's tough. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, it's tough for us because we're talking to you about it and we're living it and we're in a pandemic and, 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 and. So it's uh-huh, like, it's uh-huh. a lot. Right. And, and for me, to your point, because I'm constant, this is part of my job, right? So I'm constantly, uh, I'm talking about it. I'm writing about it. I'm, yes. I'm living it. Uh, and I realized that I needed some time to be able to say, okay, I can't talk about this every single day of the week. Like I literally, uh, told, um, my coordinator, like, because sometimes I was doing like four talks a day or, you know, I'm on meetings or things and I'm like, you know, on two days or whatever, I can't talk about this because I need to be able to pour back into my own cup and mm-hmm. deal with my own. Cause every time I even tell my story, it's triggering. Right. And then I hear other people's triggers. And so I still want to be that for them, but I also want to be able to bring my best self to the work. Right. So I I'm realizing even more so self-preservation is so important during this. That has been my word of the year, and it was a word I was unfamiliar with, um, to be honest. And for me, that has really looked like getting away from technology, which, I mean, that's not revolutionary. We've heard that before. But really, like, going on a walk with my dog and not having my phone and also realizing, uh, man, and I would love to know if this is something you struggle with, realizing we can't save everyone. And realizing that we can't fix everyone, whether that be related to race or just mental health. Like, but you know who I can fix? I can fix Jasmine. So um, do you ever struggle with that? 
Yeah, I think I think it's it's easy to kind of fall into. Let me try to throw at least throw everybody a life jacket, (laughs) (laughs) and you figure out how to how to do it. But but I realize that even some people that you throw the life jacket to or the resources, they still don't want to do the work, right? And so for that part, I'm like to your point. Like when someone asks me something, okay, cool. Here's some stuff now. if you come back and ask me more questions, I'm going to say, hey, what did you do with the stuff I just gave you? Right. And if you're not doing anything with that, then I'm not I I have to cut this conversation off because you don't even want to do the easy work for which is mm. reading. So and then I have to divorce myself from that. Right. Because there's some people to your point, like. Yes, they did just wake up and realize, oh, I guess the stuff is going on. And they really do genuinely want to learn and do better, right? Yeah. And and my thing is this, we're not going to solve your problems. Even when companies bring me in, we're not going to solve the problems in 60-minute Zoom call. It's not going to happen. But what I tell you, yes. this is a start, right? But this is <laughs> continuous work. And I think that's the part that's frustrating, right? That I think yes. some people think, oh, a new president, by the end of the year, it's all gone. Like, it's going to disappear. <laughs> and now no. this is a lifetime of work, right? Like you may not even see the real benefits. This is the work that we're doing now may benefit the next generation. So it's like, are you, are you in or are you out? You know? Yes. Can we talk about generational wounds for a yeah. second? I think about that all the time. Um, and I wish I could think of the person who I think really brought this to the forefront, but it's always stuck with me as the work we're doing now is benefiting people a hundred years from now. Like we're some fruits we are not going to see in our lifetime, what you literally just said. Um, and we're still holding on to hurt, wounds, trauma, and triggers from a hundred years ago. And I think we can all, hmm, what's that? 1920? Okay. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> that. Things were not great then either. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, you said something that I love, which is just because you bring me in for 60 minutes does not mean I'm going to solve racism or microaggressions or like workplace issues. <laughs> like you have to put in the work. Um, one thing that I am starting to see a shift in that I'm excited about is people finally realizing that you know, DEI, diversity and inclusion, workplace experience, it's not just an HR thing. It is a holistic landscape. It's all the leaders need to be, quote unquote, bought in, Mm -hmm. but, you know, leading through example. Are there any other progressions that you think are within reach that businesses should be focusing on in the next five years? Yeah, I I think right now I'm, I'm, optimistic like you. I'm actually, even though there's a lot going on and it might feel like a dumpster fire at times, uh, (laughs) but there's so many opportunities for us to get it better, right? So maybe not get it right, but get it better. And some of those room for opportunities is realizing that, you know, I think the easy button is let's just hire a bunch of people of color and that solves all the problems. When, when yes, and right, it's not going to solve all your problem, but you should be hiring more. But I think what I'm seeing people do is realizing the cultural shifts Mm -hmm. that needs to happen inside their companies, right? So it's not necessarily about hiring 15 women of color. It's about what are we doing on the inside to make it ready so when women of color do walk through the door, they feel like they they belong here. They feel like their voice and they're an asset. So I think some companies are realizing we got to do the work. And not only that, I'm seeing companies like Google who are doing like retention programs. So it's not necessarily getting more 
people in the pipeline, which is important, but it's what about the people who are here? How are we leveraging Uh, and advancing them? Absolutely. And that's really where I think equity comes into play. And what you said, it's not just about seeing, you know, a beautiful united color of Benetton ad. It's how are we making it so that they can uh, have opportunities, take them, excel, all of that. Um, And you brought up something too, another phrase that I wasn't familiar with until last year was psychological safety. Candidly, I sometimes I think I don't even realize how much white privilege there is, but it is a white privilege to have that psychological safety at work. I, I think I just was like, wow, people can like not be worried about how they're coming off in certain meetings um, based off the color of their skin. But I think that's another thing that people have to remember is part of diversity and inclusion is feeling safe at work and feeling like you can be as authentic as you possibly can. So yeah, absolutely. I think that that's what I hope people will start to talk more about is psychological safety, because that's the thing, right? Even in, you know, a Zoom world, right? A Google Hangout world where right now we're doing a lot of our meetings, there's still harm being done even sitting in your own house, right? So before we were in an environment, right? And you'd be microgressed or macrogressed, but now you're actually in the, in your safe space and it's happening. And so we have to be even more diligent to be like, no, this is not okay, right? Because yes, a lot of us are going to be in the house for a long, you know, for a while, and we can't just leave. I mean, now you're just in it, right? And now you're at home, and now it's on a loop in your head. And so, mm. I think we really have to hold people accountable for the for the work, right? Yes, so, yeah, yes. <laughs> oh God, yes. Yeah. And speaking of us being virtual, um, how do you feel like Black women can best support each other at work right now, even if we're not? you know, sharing a room together? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I've been, some of the things that I've been like marinating on is, um, yes, it's important to have white allies or, you know, people who identify differently as you, but also too, not forgetting that we can be supportive of each other, right? You know, like there is room for us to be able to, you know, if something's happening in a room, like a Zoom room and you see something and saying, oh, actually, I think Jasmine wanted to chime in on that, right? Like Mm. we we can Mm -hmm. help amplify each other's voices. Or if we're in a room that someone else isn't in and they're talking about who should we consider for X, Y, and Z. Oh, did you know, actually Jasmine, she's been working on this great project. Like we can amplify each other too. And I think the more we start to look at each other as um, teammates, collaborators, then we dismantle this competition. Oh my God. I love that. Oh my gosh. Yes. Collaboration over competition. Um, Oh man. Okay, okay, okay. If this year couldn't get any more stressful, we now have the holidays upon us, people. I have no idea what to get. Do I get a Snuggie? Do I get more subscription boxes? Help me. Now, I don't know what all of those holiday guides are going to say, but listen, I think we all know somebody who is motivated or lost or upset, or likes nice clothes. Any of those things, we have a magical place they can go. They can head on over to the Revolt Career Network, and we've got t-shirts, programs, books, programs, guides, anything to get your life, get your glow up, 
Come on, one-stop shop. Now, here's something that is even better. Because it's been a hell of a year, I know we are all looking to save a little moolah. So, use my special code, OfficePolitics, to get 25. 25% off. That's right. Hey, even just like take a gander. Go go window shopping, okay? Online. Pour a glass of Pinot. Tell me what you love. We still have the no five-year plan shirts. We have some new job guides. Guys, like anything. You know, to go back to a little bit of the self-care, I know on Instagram I saw you riding your bike. Like what else do you like to do in your free time? Yes, uh, it's starting to get cold in New York, so I, I'm okay. not able to ride. But, um, <laughs> but recently, actually, we started doing puzzles, which um, I, I'm more so good on the the fringes of the puzzle, not so much the <laughs> inner part. But but it's very. <laughs> I'm like, give me give me all the sides, give me all the. I I, I got it. But uh, but it's been nice just to like chill out and just like vibe out and kind of, you know, or even we have it like on one of our uh, kitchen or like dining room tables kind of spread out. So if you just need like a break, you can just go like sit down, do a piece and then come back to your work, do a piece. And so that's been kind of cool. It's been a nice vibe. (laughs) Yes. Wait, I need to have like my adult coloring book sanctuary station. (laughs) That's what I think I need. Yes. You you just, you need, you never know. Um, So, and I do color too. uh, So it's, you know, those are the things um, my partner always is like, your inner child has shown up during quarantine. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I think I guess for all of us between the banana bread, the tie dyeing, fostering puppies. Yes. Yeah. Um, speaking of mental health, um, is that something that you talk a lot about openly? So I, I have dabbled in the, the, the space of talking about it in, in the memo. I did talk about the fact that yeah. I went to therapy and that helped uh, yeah. But in my my new book uh, that'll be out next year, I, it really delves into the strain that racial trauma in the workplace plays on your psyche, right? And oh. how that really, how we have to pack lighter, right? Because all of that trauma that we've been carrying, to your point, generational wounds, now we're not just carrying our own, but we're carrying you know, the black lady who was there before us, right? We're carrying mm. all of these different things and, mm. and we're never going to be able to fully secure any seat anywhere if we're not right within. (laughs) Dude, okay, we have to just pause because about at the beginning of 2018, I started seeing a a black female therapist, but I specifically wanted to find one, a black female therapist in Dallas. um, Because of that very thing, I was just dealing with so much racial microaggression BS at work. And what's weird is it... (laughs) Far and large, I felt like the organization was very welcoming. It was having leadership, like just leadership that would literally tell me, I see you eating lunch with only, and then they would list the Black uh, employees. They're like, can we see you eating with these other employees? Because we feel like you have a lot of potential. And, you know, you, I'm not an idiot. You can see through the BS and know what they're trying to tell you. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is, I can't. I'm so excited for your next book because I spent two years solely actively working on just that so that I could be not even a better employee, but just like a better Jasmine. And my God, there is so much. Ooh, 
that load is very heavy. <laughs> it's heavy. I'm so glad that you realized that you could release it, right? Because I think <sighs> that that's the part of the thing where I, I want more people to realize that we all have the opportunity to drop it, right? Like we don't have yes. to put somebody else's crap in our bag, right? And, and just yes. carry it. But then their crap becomes our crap, right? Mm. You know, in the bag. <laughs> so yes! and, 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 and to your point, it, it affects every part of our life. It's not just uh, Minda at work. It's Minda in every space I go to mm-hmm. because now I'm tripping with other people that right? love me. Right? <laughs> 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 no, exactly. You so get it. And like it bleeds into your relationships, your yes. partnerships. So I think my husband's also a lot happier that I'm no longer in corporate America. He just seemed lighter. I'm like... I'm not dealing with, I'm dealing with SBS (laughs) right now anyway. Um, I wanted to, before we get into the rapid fire, because you did bring up your next book, what other tidbits or sneak peeks can you kind of let us into? What can we look forward to? Yeah. You know, so I thought the the memo was very important to me for sure. Um, But I really do feel like this healing part of us, this part, allowing the parts of ourselves, if not our whole selves to heal, how revolutionary that will be for women of color all over the world. Right? Oh my God. Right. We're healed because <laughs> look how amazing we are with a little trauma. I mean, I hate to, it's not, you know, I hate to put it that way, but look how we, we navigate with the trauma that we do have in our bags. Now think about how much more we free, free we could be if we allow ourselves to. So, so that's the, what I'm really excited about. It's been a hard book uh, to write because I really had to dig into some wounds, right. That Mm -hmm. even I wasn't ready to. And as I was writing, I was like, Oh shoot. I, I see like, yeah, I remember that happened there. And, and I just pretend that it, it I put it somewhere back yeah. in my oh. head, like, okay. Uh-huh. And you're like, you know what, actually that experience is why I do X right now. <laughs> okay. Hello. Like <laughs> you are literally <laughs> explaining all of my therapy sessions yeah. right now. And it's so. also strange, like the little memories that we carry with us from like, like that story I told you from fourth grade. It's, mm-hmm. and I'm 29 now. I, that's a lot. That's like two decades of carrying that one memory around and Mm -hmm. it has influenced other decisions I made. Or, you know, I remember, I think I've told the story on the podcast, but, um, similarly in elementary school, the girls would create a line and like braid each other's hair. And so I was like, Oh, can I join? And the girl again, she, it was that, It was just very matter of fact. No, you cannot join. Your hair is too different than ours. And I was like, oh, okay. And then, you know, I'm still going through my hair journey of acceptance. And Mm -hmm. I am, that is where I still have a lot of healing to do because my entire childhood, you get told your hair is wild, your hair is ugly. And this isn't from what inside of the home either. Like my mom, my parents were very intentional about black is beautiful, having black art on the walls. It was going to a predominantly white school and having people tell you you're not beautiful or in high school guys being like, I would date you, but like, I don't date black girls. And you just, and it's so matter of fact that you're like, oh, maybe it's, Huh. Like you feel crazy for questioning, you know, certain things. So all of that. All yeah. of, I'm so glad you said that because that's 
you know, so the, the book that I mentioned about the healing is, mm-hmm. you know, for, for us big girls, but I'm writing an adaptation of the memo for young girls of color. And I actually, I'm writing that right now. And I was writing a situation where when you hear that, oh, because I went to predominantly white schools uh, growing up and they would say, oh, you're cute for a black girl or no, I couldn't, I didn't find, you know, a homecoming date because nobody wanted to go with me. Right. And, and those things that, but they, every, I was everybody's friend. Right. But so those things that you see of yourself and then later, you know, you go back to your reunions and now everybody's like, oh, you're beautiful. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's a whole nother right thing. But you, you see yourself through the lens of, Becky and Stephanie and yes. you know what, and, and all of these things and you're like, well, I'm cute too, but you know, so you question the imposter syndrome starts so early, and that's why we have to get to our young girls at this at the 13, the 12, because those yes. experiences they show up with us later in life, you know. Absolutely, no. In fact, I'm currently seeing like a therapist, but she also uh, specializes with like sex and pleasure and just trying to see myself as sexy. Like that was one of my new year's resolutions. And, you know, I can have, I have my husband who tells me like all day long, but again, when you don't get certain messages growing Mm -hmm. up, not that I think we need to go tell 12 year olds (laughs) they're sexy, believe me, before anyone twists my words. But I think when you keep getting friend zoned or you're just cute or yeah. cute for a black girl. Cute for a black girl. Yeah. It's like, oh, that'll be the name of your next book. Cute for a black girl. That's that's a that's a that's a whole series, right? We just, you know, uh, in 2021, just come on over. Cute for a black girl. Cause yeah. I mean I, I mean it, that really that's some crap that's some bags of luggage oh listen girl if anybody wants to come help me unpack them we can i'll start a whole new podcast cute for a black girl cute for a black girl (laughs) you know for for black history month we'll just have (laughs) no well i am so excited to get into the industry rapid fire now again you can answer this as an author ceo anything you can mix it up a little bit but what do you feel like is the biggest misconception about your industry? Uh, I think the biggest misconception is that it's only for a DEI practitioner. This humanity work is for everybody. <laughs> okay. One more time. <laughs> humanity work is for everybody. Yes. Yes. What is the least favorite part about your industry? So the, I think that um, that some people don't want to pay for the work, right? I think that that is probably the, the worst part. It's like they want you to solve problems, but they don't want to pay you the rates in which you need to be able to solve the problem. <laughs> oh, uh-huh. can we let's take a quick pause here. It was really interesting. A place I worked at, we, you know, never had resources. Um, long story short, I wound up leaving again. Far and large, my experience at that organization was good. But again, magically, we have no money for DEI, make it work for $20. But, um, you know, after June happened, an old colleague was like, hey, I just want you to know because I'd rather you hear it from me. We are now making budget to hire you know, a DNI officer and a lot of the programs you did create are going to start getting implemented. And it's just that thing of like, 
why do we have resources when it comes into like saving our mm-hmm. asses? Yeah. And then even outside of that, similarly, people want you to come and do speaker series seminars, but don't want to pay for it. Right. But yeah. But want to be able to post it on social media, like, hey, look who we got. Yeah. So, right. Right. But it, but diversity is important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I hate to throw in a follow up question in our rapid fire, but <laughs> I, I screwed up the flow. <laughs> no, actually, no. That is what this is for. No, I would love to know how do you self advocate or like, because one thing I'm still trying to work on is. Stepping away, like not all money is good money and don't say yes to every last thing. How do you make sure that you're advocating for yourself? Yeah, that's tough. Me and one of my friends, um, another entrepreneur, black woman friend, we joke around like, oh, we had a good month, but did you take blood money? Did you take, you know, and she always tells me, Minda, it's not blood money because they owe the this is from our ancestors. They owe us this. And so to to some extent, I, I think about that, right? Like where are the places that I am helping who haven't like solely like done some really off the wall stuff, you know, those companies, right? Yes. But, but the ones that, you know, have maybe, you don't know where they stand and they just want someone to come in, but realizing that this, this is the work, right? This is what we do. And, and you charge them a lot of money because, this mm-hmm. is the work. Right? Yes. <laughs> so and so for but for me what I do too is to your point all money isn't good money and the one thing that I I've set my fees and I've been very intentional about this like if you're asking for example one company I had done one a couple of events for them some conversations and then another department they were like well you've been working with you know our main parent company and uh, you know, this is the only budget that we had when I've gotten paid more to do the exact same thing. And I said, well, listen, this is my fee. This is what you've already paid me in another realm. I said, so, you know, if you're not able to do this, then I'm not able to do that. So if you, <laughs> you know, and, and yes. this is just it because it, to your point, it's so taxing. I love the work that I do, but I also, this is my job, right? And so you, no one's going to ask you to do your job for free or less than, or they shouldn't. Right. And so, and so that's what I keep in my mind. Right. And realizing that, um, when you do decide to work for your, for yourself, you do have some leeway a little bit at times, depends on the season, you know, what you can push and what feels good to you. Right. And and what you can sleep at night with. Ooh, I love that. I, yes. A lot of times when I'm in between something, I'm like, can you sleep at night? You know, so (laughs) that is, that's always a good, good measure. And what is the best thing about your industry? Uh, the best thing is the impact, right? Yeah, like, it, of course. It, I, I just, I am really blessed and fortunate, and it is a privilege to be able to do the work that I do because I know it's helping people, right? Because I hear from folks, and even if you help one person make the workplace better, make their lives better, then it's all worth it. Absolutely. And the final question is, what is the hiccup or failure you would never change about your journey or that you are the most grateful for? Yeah, that's a great question. It's probably the job that I had that really prompted the memo, me to write the memo. I was living in Los Angeles, took another job on the East Coast. And when I was going through such a hellacious situation, I was like, oh my God, I clearly made 
the wrong decision to come here. You know, like, <laughs> who leaves oh, California? Yeah. You know, why did I do this to myself? And I would beat myself up for making that decision. But I realize now, had I not gone through that, I wouldn't mm-hmm. have had the courage to be able to talk about the stuff I'm talking about now and, and help others. Right. And, and free myself at the same time. So, um, it wasn't a mistake. It was part of the path. Oh, Ooh. Ooh. Put that on Instagram. That's a good one. (laughs) Well, Minda, it's been a pleasure. Where can everyone keep up with you? Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm Minda Hearts. I'm most active on Twitter, but at Minda Hearts uh, and then MindaHearts.com. Beautiful. Exciting. Well, thank you again for coming on. And you guys, we will be right back. This year has been crazy and we are all adjusting to our new normal during these uncertain and unprecedented times. Yes, I am here to tell you that again. But what I'm also here to tell you is that networking and job hunting looks hella different. Thankfully, your girl here is a former HR manager and recruiter. And I also used to work in social media (laughs) and training, and I've had a thousand lives. So I've decided to merge all of that together and create a five-module course called Our New Normal, How to Job Hunt and Network in 2020. So if you want to head over to jasminereadclark.com, you will find my new course there, as well as some other services that I have. And right now it is on sale. And if you follow me on Instagram, you're going to get a special coupon code where you get 50% off. Yes, 50%. I'm in a really generous mood today. Could be the champagne. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you have any feedback or you just want to add to the conversation, please make sure to follow us on officepolitics.podcast on Instagram or uh, feel free to look me up on Instagram, Jasmine Reed Clark. I would love to continue the conversation and please make sure you go and you check out Minda on all of her platforms. Until next time. Bye y'all.